You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a compilation of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Festivals and Their Meaning. This is the Christmas section, the first section. Lecture 7 is entitled The Revelation of the Cosmic Christ, given in Basel on the 26th of December, 1921. The festival of the Holy Night has for centuries been a great festival of remembrance in all Christendom. As we think of it in this way, we must be mindful of everything that human hearts and feelings have associated with it through the ages. It must be remembered that the festival of the 25th of December did not become an institution in Christianity until the 4th century A.D. It was in the 4th century, for the first time actually in the year 354 in Rome, that the festival of the birth of Jesus was placed before the Christian world as a great and memorable contribution to the times. It was out of the very deepest instincts of Christian evolution that such a contribution was made in the fourth century of our era. The peoples from the north were swarming down to attack the cultural inheritance of southern Europe. Many pagan customs were still widespread in the southern regions of Europe in Roman districts and in Greece. Pagan customs were also rife in North Africa, in Asia Minor. In short, wherever Christian thought and Christian feeling were gradually beginning to spread. But from the outset, Christianity was not intended to be a sectarian teaching, destined for this or that circle of human beings. However many factors, both internal and external, have mitigated against its original purpose, Christianity was, by its very nature, intended to nourish the souls and hearts of all people upon the earth. Within the pagan traditions of both North and South, there still lived a religious consciousness, uniting the gods with the stars and the mightiest divine figure with the sun. And within the pagan mind, lived the thought that the time of the earth's darkest days, the winter solstice, is also the time when the victorious power of the sun, working in all earthly fertility, begins to unfold again. The winter feeling of the earth resting in her own being, shut off from the divine powers of the cosmos and living in loneliness within the universe, was superseded at the time of the winter solstice, by a feeling of hope. That, once again, the rays of light and love from the realm of sun come to bless the earth and awaken it to fruitfulness. For the people of those times, such feelings were deeply connected with their own soul nature. Within the ancient pagan religions, they felt themselves inwardly part of the earth, a limb or member of the earth. They felt the very life of the earth continuing into their own bodies. In the days of summer, when the earth receives the strongest forces of warmth and light from the heavenly sphere of the sun, people felt their own being 
given over to the radiant, warmth-giving world of sun rays shining down upon the earth. During the time of midsummer, they felt their whole being given up to the wide cosmic spaces. At the time of the winter solstice, they felt themselves in intimate connection with the earth and with all the forces preserved in the earth from the warmth and radiance of the summer. Together with the earth, they felt themselves living in loneliness within the cosmos. And the return of divine spiritual forces to the earth at this time of the winter solstice was a deep and real experience to them. Into the thought of the Christmas festival, therefore, was laid all that connected human feeling, human soul and spirit so intimately with the totality of the cosmos. It was therefore quite natural that the precious core of this winter solstice festival was also communicated to the peoples who encountered Christianity. This precious core was intrinsic to the change that had taken place between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This most cherished experience of Christianity lay in the remembrance of the birth of Jesus. The peoples of the Old Testament expressed the great mystery of human life and death by saying, When the soul passes through the gates of death, it follows the path which will unite it again with the fathers. In those times there was a longing to return to the fathers. This was a cherished and intimate experience, an experience bound up with the conceptions expressed in the Old Testament. In the course of the first four centuries of Christendom, this longing for communion with the fathers was replaced by a turning toward the birth of the being who is the center around which Christendom coheres. The Old Testament feeling changed into one connected with the events at Nazareth or Bethlehem with the birth of the child Jesus. And so when it established the Christmas festival in the fourth century, Christianity contributed to a worldwide unity of human beings by connecting a cherished and intimate experience with the Christmas festival. And if we think of the way in which this festival has been celebrated through the centuries, we find evidence everywhere that at the time of the approach of Christmas, the souls of Christians are filled with loving devotion for the Jesus child. This loving devotion proceeding from the fourth century expresses something of outstanding significance. We must really have an inner understanding of what it signified when the Christmas festival was instituted on the 25th of December, more or less at the time of the winter solstice. For as late as the year A.D. 353 in Rome itself, the Christ festival was neither celebrated on the 25th of December, nor was it a commemoration of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. It was celebrated on the 6th of January as a commemoration of the Jordan baptism by John. It was a festival of remembrance associated with the Christ being, a being belonging to a world beyond the earth, who through the Jordan baptism had come down from the heavens and united himself with human nature in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. It was the celebration not of an ordinary birth, but of the descent of the Christ being. 
whereby new and quickening forces poured into earthly existence. The day was dedicated to the revelation of the Christ, to remembrance of the mystery of a heavenly force uniting with the earth, through which the evolution of humanity had received a new impulse. This mystery of the descent of a heavenly being into earthly existence was still understood in the age of the event of Golgotha itself and for some time afterward. At that time fragments were still present of an ancient wisdom capable of understanding a truth only to be known through supersensible experience. The old instinctive knowledge, the ancient wisdom which humanity had received when it first appeared upon the earth as a gift of the gods, was gradually lost. It faded away little by little as the centuries went by. But at the time of the mystery of Golgotha, enough wisdom was still left to give man some insight into the mighty event that had come to pass. And so in the early centuries of Christendom, the mystery of Golgotha was understood through such wisdom. But by the time of the fourth century after Christ, this wisdom had almost completely disappeared. People's minds were occupied with what was being brought to them from all sides by pagan influences. Understanding of the deep mystery of the union of Christ with the man Jesus was no longer possible. The real nature of the mystery of Golgotha was lost to the human soul. And so it remained through the subsequent centuries. The ancient wisdom was lost to humanity, and necessarily so. Otherwise man could never have attained his freedom, his self-dependence. It was necessary for humanity to enter for a while into a darkness in which it could develop in freedom its powers of independence. But a true Christian instinct substituted another quality in place of the wisdom with which Christendom had first understood the mystery of Golgotha, through which it had illumined the discussions held on the nature of this mystery. Modern Christianity has very little knowledge or understanding of the profundity of the discussions carried on among the wise church fathers in the first centuries of Christendom about the two natures, divine and human, which had been united in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. In the early Christian centuries this was a mystery which addressed itself to a living wisdom, a wisdom which then faded away into empty abstraction. Very little has remained in Western Christianity of the holy zeal with which people tried to understand how the divine and human had been united in the mystery of Golgotha. But the Christian impulse is mighty and powerful, and it was the power of love which came to replace the wisdom which had greeted the mystery of Golgotha when its radiance first shone over the earth. In marvelous abundance, people have poured out love through the centuries to the Jesus child in the manger. And it is really wonderful to find how strongly this power of love is reflected in the Christmas plays which have come down to us from earlier centuries of Christendom. If we let these things work upon us, we shall realize how deeply Christmas is a festival of remembrance. We shall realize, too, that 
Just as the peoples of the Old Testament strove in wisdom to be gathered to the fathers, so the peoples of the New Testament have striven in devotion and love to gather together at Christmas around the sinless child in the manger. But who will deny that the love poured out to the source of Christendom by so many hearts has little by little become more or less a habit? Who will deny that in our age the Christmas festival has lost the living power it once possessed? The people of the Old Testament longed to return to their origin, to be gathered to their fathers, to return to their ancestors. The Christian turns his mind and heart to human nature in its primal purity when it celebrates the festival of the birth of Jesus. And it was out of this same Christian instinct which caused man to associate the Christmas festival with his earthly origin that the day before Christmas, the 24th of December, was dedicated to Adam and Eve. The day of Adam and Eve preceded the day of the birth of Jesus. And so it was out of a deep instinct that the tree of paradise came to be associated as a symbol with the Christmas festival. We turn our eyes to the manger in Bethlehem, to the child lying before the Blessed Mother, surrounded by the animals. It is a heavenly symbol of the primal origin of humanity. Our feelings and minds are carried back to the earthly origin of the human being, to the tree of paradise, and associate the crib with it. Similarly, there is a holy legend which associates the origin of man on earth with the mystery of Golgotha. It tells that the wood of the tree of paradise was handed down in a miraculous way from generation to generation until the time of the mystery of Golgotha, and that the cross erected on Golgotha, the place of the skull, the cross on which Christ Jesus hung, was made of the same wood. In other words, the heavenly origin of the human being is associated with his earthly origin. Yet all this has, in another sense, tended to obliterate the fundamental conception of Christianity. Nobody in our days can fail to realize that people have little insight into the Godhead, not only as Father Principle, but also as Son, S-O-N. Humanity in general, as well as our so-called enlightened theology, has more or less lost sight of the difference in nature between the Father God and the Son God. And because this insight has been lost, we find respected modern theologians proclaiming the view that God the Son does not really belong to the Gospels, but only God the Father. That Jesus of Nazareth is simply to be regarded as the great teacher, the messenger, of the Father God. When people of today speak of Christ, they still associate with His name certain memories of the Holy Story, but they have no clearly defined feeling of the difference in nature between the Son God on the one hand and the Father God on the other. But at the time when the mystery of Golgotha made its incisive mark upon earthly evolution, this feeling was still very much alive. Over in Asia, in a place of no great importance to Rome at the time, the Christ had appeared in Jesus of Nazareth. According to the early Christians, Christ was that divine being who had ensouled a human being 
in a way that had never before occurred on the earth, nor would ever occur again. This one event of Golgotha, this one ensouling of a human being by a divine being, by the Christ, imparts meaning and purpose to the whole of earthly evolution. All previous evolution is to be thought of as preparatory to this event of Golgotha, and all subsequent evolution as its fulfillment and consequence. This event took place in Asia, and on the throne of Rome sat Augustus Caesar. People of today no longer realize that Caesar Augustus on the throne of Rome was regarded as a divine incarnation. The Roman Caesars were regarded as gods in human form. And so we have two different conceptions of God, the one upon the throne of Rome and the other on Golgotha, the place of a skull. There could be no greater contrast. Think of the figure of Caesar Augustus, who according to his subjects and according to Roman decree was a god incarnate in a man. He was thought to be a divine being who had descended to the earth. The divine forces had united with the birth forces, with the blood. The divine power, having come down into earthly existence, was pulsing in and through the blood. Such was the universal conception, although it took different forms, of the dwelling of the Godhead on earth. People thought of the Godhead as bound up with the forces of the blood. They express this in the words ex Deo Nasimor, out of God we are born. And even the least elevated felt themselves connected with what lived, as the crown of humanity, in an individual like Caesar Augustus. All that was thus honored and revered was a divine father principle, for it was living in the blood which the human being receives as a gift of birth. But in the mystery of Golgotha, the divine Christ being united himself with the man Jesus of Nazareth, united himself not in this case with the blood, but with the highest forces of the human soul. A God united with the human being in such a way that mankind was saved from falling victim to the earthly forces of matter. The Father God lives in the blood. The Son lives in the soul and spirit of man. The Father God leads us into material life, ex Deo Nasimor, out of God we are born. But God the Son lifts us again out of material existence. The Father God leads us from the supersensible into the material. God the Son leads us from the material once more into the supersensible, in Christo Morimor, In Christ we die. This distinction expressed two quite different feelings. The feeling and perception of God the Son was added to that associated with God the Father. Yet certain influences underlying the process of evolution caused the loss of differentiation between the Father God and God the Son. And to this day these influences have remained in mankind in general, and in Christianity, too. People who shared in the ancient primordial wisdom knew from their own inner experiences that they had come down from divine spiritual worlds into physical and material life. Pre-existence was a certain and accepted fact. 
They look back through birth, through conception, up into the divine spiritual worlds, from which the soul descends at birth into physical existence. In our language, we have only the word immortality, in quotes. We have no expression for the other aspect of eternity because our language does not include the word, in quotes, unborn. But if our conception of eternity is to be complete, the word unbornhood must be there as well as the word immortality. Indeed, unbornhood can be of greater significance to us than what is implied by the word immortality. It is true that the human being passes through the gate of death into a life in the spiritual world, but it is no less true that an exceedingly egotistical conception of this life in the spiritual world is presented to us today. Human beings live here on the earth. They long for immortality, for they do not want to sink into nothingness at death. In speaking of immortality, therefore, all that is necessary is to appeal to the instincts of egotism. If you listen carefully to sermons, you will realize how many of them count upon the egotistical impulses in human beings in order to convey to them an idea of immortality. But when it comes to the conception of unbornhood, it is not possible to rely upon such impulses. Human beings are not so egotistical in their desire for existence in the spiritual world before birth and conception as they are in their desire for a life after death in the spiritual world. If a life hereafter is assured them, then they are satisfied. Why, they think, should they worry about where they have come from? Out of egotism they want to know about a hereafter. But when we once more unfold a wisdom untinged with egotism, unbornhood will be as important to us as immortality is today. In olden times, people knew that they had lived in divine spiritual worlds, had descended through birth into material existence, uniting what they brought from a purely spiritual environment with the blood, so that it lived on in the blood, And from this insight there arose the conception, out of God we are born, the God living in the blood. The God whom the human being of flesh represents here on earth is the Father God. The other pole of life, that is, death, draws a different impulse out of our souls. There must be something in the human being that is not extinguished at death. The conception corresponding to this is of the God who leads what is earthly and physical over into the supersensible and superphysical. This is the God of the mystery of Golgotha. The Divine Father principle has always been associated with the transition from the supersensible to the material. The Divine Son leads us back from the sensible and material to the supersensible. That is why the resurrection thought is essentially bound up with the mystery of Golgotha. The words of St. Paul that Christ is what he is for humanity because he is the risen one are an integral part of Christianity. In the course of the centuries, understanding of the risen one, of the conqueror of death, has gradually been lost. 
enlightened modern theology concerns itself wholly with the man Jesus of Nazareth. But Jesus of Nazareth, the man, cannot be placed at the same level as the Father Principal. Jesus of Nazareth might be regarded as the messenger of the Father, but he could not, according to the arguments of early Christianity, be placed beside the Father God. Co-equal and co-existent are the Divine Father and the Divine Son. The Father who brings about the transition from the supersensible to the material, quote, out of God we are born, close quote, and the Son who brings about the transition from the material to the supersensible, quote, in Christ we die, close quote. And, transcending both birth and death, there is a third principle, proceeding from and co-equal both with the Divine Father and the Divine Son, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Within the being of man, therefore, we can find the transition from the supersensible to the material and from the material to the supersensible and can find both united in the principle which knows neither birth nor death, the awakening in and through the Holy Spirit, per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. For many centuries, Christmas was a festival of remembrance. How much of the substance of this festival has been lost is proved by the fact that for enlightened theology all that is left of the being Christ Jesus is the man Jesus of Nazareth. But for us today, Christmas must become a call and a summons to something new. A new reality must be born. Christianity needs an impulse of renewal for it no longer understands the Christ being in Jesus of Nazareth and has therefore lost its meaning and purpose. The meaning and essence of Christianity must be found again. Humanity must learn again to realize that the mystery of Golgotha can be comprehended only in the light of supersensible knowledge. Another factor, too, contributes to this lack of understanding of the mystery of Golgotha We can look with love to the babe in the manger. But we have no wisdom-filled understanding of the union of the Christ being with the man Jesus of Nazareth. Nor can we look up into the heavenly heights with the same intensity of feeling which was present in those who lived at the time of the mystery of Golgotha. At that time, people looked up to the starry worlds and saw in the courses and constellations of the stars something like a countenance of the divine soul and spirit of the cosmos. They saw the sun as the heart of this divine spiritual cosmos, and they could see in the Christ the inner spiritual essence of the glorious starry heavens. But for modern man, the starry worlds and all the worlds of cosmic space have become little more than a product of calculation, a cosmic mechanism. The world has become empty of gods or God. The Christ being certainly could never have descended from the universe we investigate nowadays through astronomy and astrophysics, which is so void of God. Primeval wisdom perceived this world in an altogether different way. It was the body of the divine world soul and the divine world spirit. From this spiritual cosmos, the Christ came down to earth and united himself with a human being in Jesus of Nazareth. 
human evolution itself expresses this in a profound way. All over the earth, before the mystery of Golgotha, there were mystery sites, holy sanctuaries that were schools of the highest learning, and at the same time schools for the cultivation of the religious life. In these mysteries, indications were given of what must come to pass in the future. It was revealed that the human being bears within himself a power that conquers death. The initiates of the mysteries had powerful experiences of this victory over death. Whoever wished to be initiated had to develop a profound experience and conviction that he had awakened within himself the power that conquers death. The initiate experienced in images the whole future panorama of world history. Such images, it was known, would one day become actual events. In the mysteries of all people was proclaimed the sacred truth, man can be victorious over death. The mystery of Golgotha was proclaimed in advance by the pagan mysteries of antiquity. It was the fulfillment of what had everywhere been heralded in the sanctuaries and holy places of the mysteries. When the candidate had been prepared in the mysteries, when he had performed the difficult training which brought him to the point of initiation, when he had made his soul so free of the body that this soul could be united with and perceive the spiritual worlds, when he was convinced by his own knowledge that life is always victorious over death in human nature, then he gained access to the very deepest experience vouchsafed by these ancient mysteries. He became aware that spiritual perception could remove the obstruction and hindrance of matter, of the earth, and so make visible what was of both spiritual and material nature, the sun, S-U-N. It was to a mysterious phenomenon, although one well known to every initiate, that the candidate was led. He beheld the sun at the midnight hour, saw the sun through the earth, at the other side of the earth. Instinctive feelings for the most holy and sacred things have, after all, been preserved throughout the course of history. Many of these feelings and perceptions have weakened, but to those who are willing to look with unprejudiced eyes, the old meaning is still discernible. And so we can read something from the fact that at midnight, between the 24th and 25th of December, the Midnight Mass is said in every Christian church, we can read something from this fact when we know that the Mass is nothing less than a synthesis of the rites and rituals of the mysteries which led to initiation, to the beholding of the sun at midnight. This institution of the Midnight Mass at Christmas is an echo of the initiation which enabled the candidate at the midnight hour to see the sun at the other side of the earth, and therewith to behold the universe as a spiritual universe, to hear the cosmic word resounding through the cosmos and revealing through the courses and constellations of the stars the being of the universe. Blood sets human beings at variance with one another. Blood fetters to the earthly and material that element in us which descends from heavenly heights. In our century, especially, 
Human beings have gravely sinned against the essence of Christianity, turning back again to the ties of blood. But they must find the way to the being who was Christ Jesus, who does not address himself to the blood, but who poured out his blood and gave it to the earth. Christ Jesus is the being who speaks to the soul and to the spirit, who does not separate but unites, so that peace may come about upon earth out of our understanding of the cosmic word. A new understanding of the Christmas festival through supersensible knowledge can transform the material universe into spirit before the I-E-Y-E of the soul transform it in such a way that the sun at midnight becomes visible and is known in its spiritual nature. Such knowledge brings understanding of the super-earthly Christ-being, the sun-being, S-U-N, who was united with the man Jesus of Nazareth. It can bring understanding, too, of the unifying peace that should hover over the peoples of the earth. The being of God is revealed in the heights, and through this revelation, peace rings forth from the hearts of, quote, men of good will. Such is the word of Christmas. Peace on earth flows into unison with the divine light that is streaming toward the earth. We need something more than a remembrance of the day of the birth of Jesus. We need to understand and realize that a new Christmas festival must arise, that a new festival of birth must lead on from the present into the immediate future. A new Christ impulse must be born which recognizes the nature of Christ. We need a new understanding of the truth that the divine spiritual heavens and the physical world of earth are linked to one another and that the mystery of Golgotha is the most significant expression of this union. We must understand once again why it is that at the midnight hour of Christmas we are resoundingly called upon to be mindful of our divine spiritual origin, to unite in our thoughts the revelation of the heavens with peace on earth. The holy night must become conviction and reality. It is not enough to give each other presents at Christmas in accordance with ancient custom and habit. The warm feelings which for centuries inspired Christian men at the Christmas festival have been lost. We need a new Christmas, a new holy night reminding us not only of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, but bringing a new birth, the birth of a new Christ impulse. Out of full consciousness we must learn to understand that in the mystery of Golgotha a supersensible power was made manifest, was revealed in the material earth. We must understand with full consciousness what resounded instinctively in the mysteries of old, We must receive this impulse consciously. We must learn to understand once more that when the holy night of Christmas becomes a reality to us, we can experience the wonderful midnight union between the revelation of the heavens and the peace of earth. This is the meaning of the words which will now be given and which are dedicated to Christmas. They synthesize what I wanted to bring to your souls and hearts tonight. They try to express, out of consciousness of the anthroposophical understanding of Christ, 
how we can come again to the wisdom that once lived instinctively in human beings, a wisdom which at the time of the mystery of Golgotha was still sufficiently preserved to allow the appearance of the Christ being to be celebrated. We, in our day, must once more achieve understanding of the Christ as a cosmic being who united himself with the earth. The time at which this understanding is accessible to the greatest number of people is the time of the cosmic holy night whose approach we await. If we understand these things, then the feelings will awaken in us, which I have tried to express in the following verse, quote, Behold the sun at the midnight hour, build with stones in the lifeless ground. Thus, in decay and in the night of death, find the creation's new beginning. Young morning's strength, glory in the heights, the eternal word of God's, shelter in the depths, the powers of peace, in darkness dwelling, create a sun, in matter weaving, know the joy of spirit. The end of Lecture 7